Welcome to the Collective Gamers Podcast. Today is Sunday, July 23rd. This is episode 198. I'm Tony. I'm Dennis, and we are back at it. Uh, I don't know if this is going to be a particularly long episode, but I do think it'll be an interesting one, if for no other reason than the... Uh, there's been a lot of news going on in terms of uh, a big pinball announcement. And of course, I know there's a lot of Microsoft Activision updates that have happened. I know. But before we get into that, Tony, last couple of weeks, anything worth reporting? Not really. I've been playing more Diablo 4. Mm. I've been playing more. I heard they were going to nerf all the classes and then they're like, uh, oops. Yeah, uh, I've been playing a sorceress, and uh, or and, and yeah, no. Uh, after the big nerfs came in, there was a considerable change in my 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 mm. time to kill. Uh, it it, it kind of hurt, and that class was already like the weakest class in the game. So, oh, okay, <laughs> it just made it worse. Mm. So, uh, I I have beaten the game. I'm. I have not since the uh, new season launched. I've not started the new season yet because I uh, downloaded uh, some updated mods for BattleTech, and I've been playing BattleTech. Okay, uh, but and reading. I've been doing a lot of reading, so mm. that's about it. Okay. Well, uh, I have continued to work on. Uh, I, I'm not playing Gems of War anymore. That one's back in the that's back, ba- that's back gone, in sto- the that's back in cold back storage. storage. Yeah, back in cold storage for that one. Uh, I'm through chapter eight now on Puzzle Quest three. However, there was a big like Xbox summer sale of games, so I did pick up three new games. Yes, I got the remake of capcom's resident evil 3 i really liked the resident evil 2 remake i i did not originally play like my first resident evil was resident evil 5 right and in fact why i am in xbox at all is because a friend of ours who we played world of warcraft with wanted me to co-op with him resident evil 5 and he's like you gotta get a 360 so we can play this and i'm like i don't want to buy a console i'm a pc gamer He's like, you need to get it so we can play it. And so I was like, I was getting tired Peer of Peer pressure. I was, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was getting, I was getting tired of Warcraft. So I got it. And uh, that was my first introduction. And I have since gone back and played a, because they had a remaster of six. So I've played six. And then uh, I've been playing the more recent ones. Uh, but I've never, I tried to do a, like an older remake version of Code Veronica. And I couldn't, it was still the old look and everything and i couldn't right. really get into it uh, or get through it at the very least and i same for the first resident evil but resident evil 2 when they co- totally remastered it that was a lot of fun so i've got three but i haven't started it yet and then i got two other games i got i am fish which is like a think the marble madness like you're rolling you're mm-hmm. fishing a ball oh, yeah. and trying to get to the water so I've, I, I've only i've only played that one time uh the day i downloaded it because it was a quick short download and then another series of games I've never played, I got the Phoenix Wright trilogy. I'm learning that either Japanese law is very, very different than American law, or Phoenix Wright is taking some liberties with law, because there's a lot about the game that doesn't make any sense to me. And one of the things I've, I struggle with a lot is there are scenarios, instances where I need to like object and present something, and it's so obvious that I'm confused why like no one else is like just bringing it up. They'll be like, "What's going on?" You need to present, and I'm I'm over. I've overthought it several times when it's something like, "Uh, the per." You'll hear someone. You'll hear the witness say like, "I wasn't." They'll say something like, "They weren't actually there," and then you're like, "Objection!" And the judge is like, "Why are you objecting?" And it's like, 
But the witnesses told everyone they weren't there. But you need to point out the evidence showing that they indeed aren't there because they just said they weren't there. And that conflicts with the other thing that suggested they were there. And I'm like, but they just said they weren't there. Like, they just told everyone. Why do I have to object at all? I don't understand. It doesn't work that way. This is, they should have said this that. Is nonsense. And their lawyer should have like dropped their heads in shame. It's just it's oh or oh and then the the weird yeah the weird Phoenix Wrighty stuff. Like one time I I was like objection the autopsy where they were like this person they I they were I saw that they were stabbed and then they they staggered away and then they and then they fell over and died and then I was like objection the autopsy report says they died instantly and then the prosecutor's like objection and it's like we have an updated autopsy report that says they actually t- took a while to die and I was like how did where did this come from <laughs> what is this and they're just like you should have thought better phoenix and I'm like what this doesn't this is what law maybe that's how it is in japan i don't know it's discovery have you heard of it <laughs> oh there, there's a whole lot of the whole they won't tell you or give you any of this and i'm like i'm not sure that's how that works but apparently in the world of phoenix right we have to do all our own investigations and we have to trick the police into giving us information and trick the prosecutor into giving us information that's the only thing i readily get are the inaccurate autopsy reports that then get updated during the course of my objection so phoenix right is basically svu <laughs> it's just yeah i guess I, I don't and then uh and then other than that i i have a new pinball project in the garage uh, gottlieb 1987 victory so the displays are currently not uh working probably just a fuse or more likely just an edge connector that needs to be reattached but i've got um i haven't done much with that yet other than some preliminary tests so uh, so let's go into pinball since I use that as my subtle as a chainsaw segue. We only have one pinball topic, but first, what, but first, what are you slipping out of the collection to put victory in that, uh, that remains to be seen. So the short answer would be my most likely item that I would sell would be Buck Rogers. Uh, obviously it's not of the same era, but the only game I have remotely near the era of victory is hoops and hoops isn't going. So, so Buck Rogers is the game I play the least, uh, though I do have a really nice because I have like the BG Resto back glass that was gifted to me. So, uh, I mean, it's one of my better looking games. Mm-hmm. It's in better shape, like physically than Sinbad. But Sinbad's such a it's just a more fun game. So, right. So probably Buck Rogers. But I, I hedge on that because I need to put some more while well, I played it on Pinball Arcade. I need to put some time on Victory to know that Victory should go in the lineup. It may just be a case that Victor it might stays just be in the, a garage. It stays in the game. garage for a while, and then I just sell it or something. Um, which, incidentally, uh, when the person brought the victory, uh, because I couldn't, because of my ceiling height, they had a Walking Dead, so I let them. I gave them my Walking Dead topper. So now I'm topper free, as I should be. Good, pure, excellent, and clean. Clean. Yes. This All house right. is clean. This house is clear. I can't do her voice. Um, but Venom Fanball. Can I do Venom's voice? I don't know. Can you? Uh, it's uh, isn't it uh, Tony Todd voices Venom? I heard a rumor or report. I couldn't. I did not find confirmation. I didn't look very hard that he's voicing Venom in the new Stern game. But I've heard he's done Venom's voice in some other stuff, like video game stuff. I'd be fine. I remember because I saw it posted somewhere, and I saw the top, like the reply. The top reply I saw was my favorite Klingon. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought, oh, that's a blast from the past. That is. That's true. He's done several Klingons. Yes, he has. Um, but uh, I have a link in the show notes. 
which can be helpful to follow along. This is this week in pinballs link because they do have a deep dive on venom, which I found is a still useful way for the, I like how they lay out the photos and uh, the tiers and the, and the, the information. And there's a, there's a good little set on the rules. So I'm also pointing that out. So Tony can load it while I didn't embed any of our photos in our, in our one note is why I'm mentioning that because it makes the one note kind of, kind of clunky when I put a lot of photos in. So anyway, uh, in terms of some basic background for the listeners that do not know yet, this was the teaser came out uh, technically yeah, two weeks ago at this point, not full two weeks, but two weeks ago, if we think about traditional week structure. And then Tuesday was when the game itself was revealed fully. Uh, in terms of the basic information, this is a Brian Eddy design game. Uh, he had most recently done Mandalorian. Um, the rules, I've heard there are four people, at least four people on rules. I don't know all of them. Dwight Sullivan is lead on rules. He was lead on Mandalorian's rules as well. Um, Raymond Davidson, uh, I, Dwight had confirmed on an interview that Raymond is doing rules. He most recently, I know, was uh, primarily associated with Rush rule set. And then uh, Corey Stupp, uh, whose name I'm not familiar with, but I did see him listed on This Week in Pinball as being as part of the software uh, team. On this title, uh, Zombie Yeti, aka, or I should say, uh, the the pseudonym uh, Zombie Yeti, but be- often known as well as by his real name, Jeremy Packer, did the art package on this, as he's been doing lately with a lot of Stern games, most recently Foo Fighters, and uh, Jerry Thompson, who's often done sound for Stern games uh, lately, is on sound for this game. Uh, this is a cornerstone, so it is the Pro Premium LE model. There are 1,000 LE units. Pricing remains identical to the Foo Fighters release, so they have not done a price increase since earlier this year that means it's seven thousand dollars for a pro nine thousand seven hundred dollars for a premium and thirteen thousand dollars for a limited edition model so those are the basics out of the way i think there are there are two main things to discuss here one of course uh which i think we'll go ahead and open with is the layout i need to disclose i have not watched gameplay footage there was gameplay shot i believe at comic con streamed on dead flip so that is available i don't have a link in the show notes to it because i i have not played it myself however uh, i have gone over the the images extensively um so i think starting with the layout would make a lot of sense and and before us sort of giving our thoughts on that I think I should probably go ahead and, and quickly do a, a breakdown on the pro versus the premium LE because, as is the case, as, as Tony is very familiar, there are a lot of mechanical sacrifices uh, for the pro model to get the price down versus what we see on the premium LE. So um, the main thing I think to note on the what all the models have is they have this sort of stacking lock system. Which seems to be a newer concept where the uh, the ramps feed to the inlane. So I, I think the way it works is like balls are being held, and then it's designed so that the it'll feel like there's a faster return because when you shoot a ball up on a ramp, it can release another ball and then lock the ball that you've shot. So it keeps things going a little bit quicker than maybe we're often used to. Uh, so again, we've seen locks like that before, but not usually like prominent in the sense that they're like being used all the time. Um, and then the uh, toy-wise, uh, besides that, it's there's just the uh, captive ball very target where I think his name's Carnage, the Red Venom, right. is kind of <laughs> towards the left near the leftmost ramp. So that uh, that's got a captive ball in front of it, and then it seems like the uh, the Carnage toy is like on a very target that's supposed to get knocked back further and further. And um, then there's like a Bell Tower toy that it's a it's a stand up, but I guess the 
there's supposed to be like a bell sound that that happens with it or something along those lines. So uh, those are what that's basically it that stood out to me in terms of like toy toy slash features on the on the pro model. And then if we move up to the premium LE model, the main thing to note is there's this uh, three position 180 ramp that's over on the right. So it's like if it's all the way down, it functions as a 180 ramp, which we've been seeing a lot lately out of Stern Pinball, at least in my opinion. Uh, and then it can raise up and uh, would give you it starts to give you access to like a, another shot uh, or raise up again. And then that changes the shot a third time. So they, that that sort of thing is in place. There's also this sort of it's called the doppelganger doppelganger. It's a swinging. Uh, it swings out from the right side. And then there are uh, three hanging targets that are underneath it. And the art's actually a little bit different in that section on the premium LE because they've got some inserts and stuff associated with the doppelganger targets uh, that don't exist on the pro model. So those are the main toy differences that I've seen. So uh, I want to get into rules, but I want to stop talking now for a little bit. So actually, before starting with layout, we should probably go ahead and talk about art. Uh, so other than the subtle uh, difference on the right-hand side, I think the playfield art is identical for all three models. So I won't really ask about that, but I was kind of curious, Tony, uh, like which art package do you like the best? And and does it vary? Like, do you have a difference on, on Translite plus cab sides or is it like the one entire package just wins you over more? Well, A, I'm not a huge Venom person. It, it's not my wheelhouse of interest. It never has been. Um, but the art is, it is good. I do like how it looks. I'm going to go and be completely, uh, uh, acceptable here and say that overall, I I think the, uh, hmm, tough, tough call. But honestly, I, I, I think I like the Translite best on the Pro. I think the Pro has the better Translite. And the premium has the better side art. Uh, I mean, just overall, I don't need the giant venom that's on the side of the LE and the the pro to let me know what it is. Uh, you can tell that pretty much just by seeing it. I think I think so. I think the premium has the better cabinet art, but I like the trans. I really do like the translate on the pro. Uh, but all in all, all of the art's good. The playfield's art is good. There's some definitely some stuff in here that I like. I just like it. It's one of those things. It doesn't really this, this game doesn't theme wise touch me in any way, shape, or form because Venom has never been what I would call a character that I care about. Uh, it's always felt very aimed at a certain type of person who I'm not. That's a nice way to say it. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not particularly enamored with the theme itself. Uh, I know some people are, are are large Venom fans, but I think it's safe to say Venom's not exactly an a a tier character in the Marvel universe. No, and the fact that Venom is so tightly tied to Spider Man, and uh, I know it's known from the sheer amount of hate mail I've gotten about it, but I, I'm not, I I don't really care about Spider Man either. Mm-hmm. I know he's like the most popular Marvel most character. Popular. But, but you, I, I just continue to hate him. I don't, I didn't say I hate him. You I just don't to, care to try and destroy him. 
I watched the movies sometimes. I mean, I some, watched some of the new seen, ones. You haven't even seen all of them. I, I haven't. I that's did see how, some of the that's new That's how ones. much your hate is. Some of, I saw the first of the new ones, the one, the, the. Mm-hmm. Mm, sure. Yeah. Probably because it had other Marvel characters in it. It's probably the only reason you saw it. No, I saw it because it finally was on Disney Plus, so I oh, could watch it well, for that's free. A, that's a good. Re- that's a good enough reason. <laughs> uh, I, I do agree with you that I, I would probably say the composition of the Pro Translate is my favorite, though it's a close thing. The premiums and LEs, incidentally, for those that haven't looked, they have the same Translate. Uh, uh, I I like them both; they're fine. I actually prefer the LE uh, cabinet package. I like the color dichotomy of. The red, I guess, carnage side, and then the the kind of left side, which is very. I like the use of the blues for the for the spawn because I think blacks really really wouldn't work. Um, in terms of uh, like side packages, the the pro is my least favorite cabinet. I purple and pinball, I do not generally care for, and I don't like the use of that purple coloration basically at all. And then the the pro, uh, or excuse me, the premium side package. I imagine I could see a lot of people liking that because there's a lot of like red and orange. It's very born, like the born identity poster style of that era. And I think it kind of plays into, if I were to stereotype the zombie Yeti uh, stern art package look, it's like lots of that. Lots of red, orange, yellow color scheme, uh, you know, in the Marvel styling. Um, I, again, it's all well drawn. Uh, the play field. You know, I think that play field is probably going to be really polarizing. I get what uh, what Jeremy did. Uh, and like from a logic perspective, from a player perspective, I like this. You can see when you look at the play field shots that he's very much got like a character theme for each of the shots. But because he's done that, it's it feels very fragmented. So I think some people that are looking at it, wanting a cohesive art package are probably going to hate like that back half of the play field because the colors change all of a sudden because they're all representing something. But Again, this is pinball. It's not a wall hanging. Right. It almost looks like the those comic book uh, pages where uh, they do like the giant react, reaction shot where each person has their own individual picture as they react to something they're all seeing. Mm-hmm. That's kind. Of, that's kind of the feeling oh, the back half gives it, where where every person's like, oh, oh, oh no, he. Yeah. The. Uh, I mean, this might be a little challenging. I was going to say, where would you rank it? Where would you rank his art on this game versus everything else that he's done? Because uh, again, I I don't know. I've heard, I've heard. Obviously, every it's, a, it's so subjective. I think this is in his bottom half. All of his stuff being good, though, I have to again. That's the thing. So I don't want it to sound like I don't want it to just come across as toxic because he's basically the best artist in all of pinball ever. Honestly, right? But. Like my top three games, uh, uh, I had this discussion with with Zach Mini on the pinball show. It's like for me, my top three zombie Yeti packages are basically like all of the Ghostbuster stuff is my number one. Still, it's like the one thing that doesn't look like all the other stuff. Uh, the premium package for Iron Maiden is my number two. The desert one, yeah, the Egypt stuff. I just think it looks really cool. And then uh, for number three, I that one gets a little bit tougher for me but i would say i i've generally leaned towards something like oh gosh uh, turtles i'd probably be my third um and this is kind of like i maybe put it a little above godzilla but godzilla was way down because i didn't like his decision to do the poster style with the Godzilla. like i wanted godzilla to look a little less saturated and more washed out and and stuff and and instead it felt like if marvel did godzilla 
which it's it's not ugly, but right. it's just not the style that I would have. Whereas I like the style on this a bit more, but because of the need to serve the layout, which I think is the right decision, I also think overall as an art package, I'm really thinking Playfield in particular just doesn't isn't as attractive as some of those greats. Right. And 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 like you said, with Jeremy Packer that that's a lot like saying, you know, it's like just because it's not as good as some of his other stuff doesn't mean that it's not you know, way above 90% of what we see in pen. Oh yeah, no. It's uh, it, it's it, all good. it's just it, it's just trying like having a discussion about like your favorite song from an artist or 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 you know deciding which one of Frank Lloyd Wright's houses is the worst. Yes. Yes. The thing uh, for me is um, I've heard some people, not, not necessarily a lot, but some who have, who have argued that he just keeps getting better and better. And I think maybe because I'm not trained at all in art. Like when I look at the progression of his games, I don't see, I don't see it in those terms. Like I don't know what you could point to on this versus uh, back to turtles and tell me like what was the improvement like where did it get better right i i think it's just very much one of those things where it depends upon the theme and sometimes things just click better with different people but then again i mean there are going to be people who who think that this is his best ever and there's going to be people who think it's his worst ever and uh anywhere in between it, it's just art is so subjective sure. so where's your rank Right in the middle of the pack. Okay. Layout. Let's move to that. Okay. So, so this isn't Jeremy's fault. This is Brian Eddy's fault. What do you think of this? I think that there are an incredibly large number of shots that look pretty close together. Mm. Type of findable? Question mark. That's going to be the question. Uh, there's some things I like. I see that once again we have one of those horseshoes that have gotten super popular. Mm. It, it, let me rephrase. That has gotten super common as of late. Uh, those kind of like tight little horseshoes. Uh, yeah, I, I'm trying to think when I first saw. I think the first time I really noticed it was Stern Star Wars, right? But yeah, they they the seem missions. to be everywhere all of a sudden, and <laughs> they're, they 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 they. I can understand why they give fast feedback. They give they're 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 very interesting in a lot of ways. But sometimes I feel like maybe it's time to back off a little. But I mean, he didn't put four in like Scooby. That's true. That that definitely helps. Rut row. That'd be a rut row. The uh, I do like the uh, captive of ball very target. I like very targets, and very targets are something that you don't really see a whole lot of anymore. Uh, big fan of that. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm really gonna be interested in the uh, premium NLE. I want to see how that three position 180 degree. And I, and that's something I think to, that we can touch on in the rules because I agree the the premium LE especially with the what they've described as the plan with the rules is very interesting very I think it's very innovative what they're what they're trying right. to accomplish I don't I don't know how well that integrates with the pro obviously there needs to be a pro um, and so it's and maybe the pro gr- grows on me because it will end up playing so fast. The thing is uh, that stood out to me when I first saw these images, and uh, it's true for both versions, but uh, of course, the questions that I have are, or concerns that I have are more for the pro because they don't have those changing shots, is it's, I know so many people 
have longed for Brian Eddy to basically they want a shadow 2.0. They want to see that. And when he came back uh, to pinball to Stern, he did stranger things, which right. people looked at and it's kind of like, well, the feeds were different, very attack from Mars sort of structure. Mm-hmm. Right. And then Mandalorian, I thought was pretty different upper play field, different than, you know, it's, no, it didn't feel like shadow, but it also wasn't his, his medieval attack fan approach. This, I think, is the fanniest fan layout that I have ever seen. Like, like I could probably put this in my room to keep the air circulating. <laughs> I, I may, I even though the theme doesn't do anything for me, I may need to get this game to just have it for air circulation because <laughs> I've never seen such a fan in my entire life. It is. So, I mean, well, how many shots are we looking at here? Well, I mean, looking at the pro model, we start from left orbit. There's left orbit, leftmost ramp. Uh, that's two. Uh, very target would be three. Center ramp would be four. Bell teller five. Entry to the horseshoe six. Uh, the, I guess, sort of scoop shot seven. Other entrance to the horseshoe eight. And far right orbit nine. That's nuts. That's crazy. So... And uh, obviously, they've got some some stuff going on with the with the f- with the feeds. So because uh, there's like a little very target in the or excuse me a buck in the back that'll fire up to that uh, same habit trail that is fed by the center ramp and and things like that. But but yeah, so no, he's put in a lot there, and I don't I don't know if they're too tight or not. Uh, may, probably not would be initial thought. I, when we see this, it definitely it looks, it looks like intimidating. It's in, like they're going like, to be too like tight, scary tight. Yeah. The thing is, normally, like if we think back to Brian Eddy's other fan layouts, uh, Stranger Things, Attack from Mars, and Medieval Madness, there's usually like a big wide toy, like the drop, the bank in, on attack with right. a saucer, or the castle, or the Demogorgon. He didn't put that in here. The the thing, the toy, the the very target is the same size as all the other shots. Right. In fact, it's actually tighter than the ramps. So yeah, because it so. it, it, it's like he took that where that giant toy normally mm-hmm. is right in the middle and just went. You know what? I I can just fit like four more shots. Yeah. In that same so, spot. So the toys, quote unquote, like when we're looking just at the pro specifically, are a very target shot, which is the width of a ball, mm-hmm. and then also the width of a ball, the bell tower, which is a single stand up. So those are very small uh, footprint toys. Very small. He's kept them. Those are those two are the tightest shots that I see. Everything else is a little bit wider, but not that wide. Nothing huge. Not like the banana ramp on Elwin's Avengers, for example. Right. So anyway, uh, I think with the whole, if I understand the principle right, the whole staged like ball uh, lock system that you can kind of see the labeling on on the habit trails on the left and the right. That. I, I could see where that might help the the speed of the of the returns. So you're not waiting for the right. regular your one ball to go around and 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 do that and come back. So that would help with the speed because normally when I look at a fan layout and people love to shoot fans. So this, so this could be this could be quite successful. It's just it also when I see fans normally I think they're really, really safe layouts that tend to play a long time. Now, maybe these shots are close enough together that that's not going to be an issue with this. But that's where my concern comes in is, is well, twofold. One, one is that. Is it going to be too safe, too long of a player? And then I guess if I was you know, an owner of Stern, which I am not, it would be, are a lot of pinball collectors going to sit this one out because they look at this layout and they go, uh, no, I've owned so many games with this layout. I don't. 
I don't want it. And I will, uh, we can elaborate that on that a little bit more, but you mentioned the curiosity about like the, the three shot, um, you know, three changing shot thing on the, right. on the right hand side in particular. So I do want to go ahead and move us to the rules real quick. And then again, uh, there's a lot more write up detail over on this week in pinball, which was, uh, had pulled some information together from the, uh, Stern insider pinball podcast. Uh, and so here's the, here's the thing. All right. So the game is going to have you, uh, choose, a, a host that you, that you are you choose choose your house or choose your turtle or in this case it's going to be choose your uh, symbiote host at the start of the game and the way it works actually is there are adjustments uh depending on which symbiote character host you choose in terms of what the the physical layout of the playfield will be so if you choose and you I and you can change them between balls mm-hmm. so when you make certain changes Basically, because of the, the the way that stuff can shift around, your play field that you get to play on is different. That's what that's accommodating, is you get different shots depending which character you've chosen. So that's the uniqueness that I feel is pretty much lost on the pro, it seems, but could be very interesting on the premium LE. Coupled with that, again, we've again and with Dwight being lead on this, I, I understand like he's really been leaning a lot into more of these RPG rules. Uh, that sort of element, he's got some stuff here that's kind of roguelike, though, with that, you know, changing environment kind of feels a little bit roguelike to me. Also, um, with like the turtles, uh, I never owned a turtles, but one of the things you could do with Insider Connected is uh, with the settings, you know, this could be disabled for terms and stuff, but you could set it so like your turtle training, I think, like the progress could be held over again, kind of a roguelike element where you have pieces that let you get better over time. This is doing an XP system where as you develop your your character, like the number of shots you need to clear something goes down because you've gotten stronger. So they make it, it's approaching it in a way that it should be getting easier and easier as you level up over time to beat the game. And when you beat that final boss, uh, Null, I guess it's its name, is you get to unlock new characters that aren't in the default set, like you get, like Hulk, like Venom Hulk, or whatever they call him, and Wolverine and Captain America are unlocked as you win the game, and then you have a new character to level up and and repeat the experience. So, all of these things, coupled with, of course, the characters have their own unique bonuses and stuff. That level up aspect, I think, is really really interesting. So, because it's leaning into Insider Connected and taking pinball in a way that I think makes a lot of sense with the home environment. It's like, how do we increase longevity? What's the big frustration with like, I've owned star Trek for who knows how many years now at this point, I'm never going to get to five year mission. I'm never going to become a good enough pinball player to do that. I'm not physically capable of it. So eventually it, there's no point. I'm, I'm not going to own the game until I get five year mission because I'm not good enough to get five year mission. But if you want to show someone progress, how do roguelikes do it? They let you get elements that let you improve. So even though you do get better at the game over time, you never become most people don't become speedrunners at 
at Hades or Binding of Isaac. It's the leveling and the carryover and the stuff that you have at your disposal that allows you to win it eventually. And then that lets you do new things with it. So there's replayability. So they're taking video game replayability and Brian Eddy's incorporated some aspects of the layout to also do some adjustment to give you a little bit different experience with that otherwise very vanilla looking layout. I think that's really interesting. What are your thoughts? I also think that that's a really cool concept that could go either very well or very terribly. Uh, but I'm super interested. There are a lot of things in this game. I, I know you haven't really touched on it yet, but the fact that it has like co-op and team play, I just really want to play this game. Uh, uh, I, I would like to play. Co- I loved playing co-op on TNA. It was great. Uh, I, the fact that this has a built-in uh, speed run type setup, even though I'll never successfully complete any of it, I know that I'm not. There's no way that I'm going to be a good enough player to do that. But it just is a concept, uh, and I think a lot of this, like you said, is stuff that is utilizing powers given to them through uh, in the insider connected uh, setup. But I'm I'm. It has tickled all of my really interested want to try it boxes, not just for the game itself and the shots and everything, but because of all of the things that they're trying that are different, new and and interesting. Yeah, it's uh, to me, it's a culmination of everything that I feel uh, rightly or wrongly that Dwight Sullivan has seemed to been working towards over the last few years at Stern Pinball. Uh, again, like you mentioned, co-op play. That's something that seems to end up in all of his code packages. Like Turtles had the co-op play, and I thought there was another game that he worked on that also had co-op play. Uh, and of course, here it is again. Uh, and as you know, like speed running. I mean, that's such a video game thing. It's all of these pieces. Uh, he's brought back the flamethrower from Mandalorian and, and uh, the concept, which I guess the symbiotes are afraid of fire is kind of how that thematically integrates, but it gives an ability to, you know, like str- a, a strategic weapon, you know, that smart bomb from video games, sort of how I always thought of the flamethrower to go ahead and, and accomplish something. So this one is, uh, is available that you can, you can do something and, and like fire that off at certain times. And uh, it's just that it's, it's got so many things and, and it's. I agree with you. It's an experiment. Is this going to work or not? It's such a. It's such a question mark, in the sense that, like conceptually, I think with Insider Connected able to save the progress, all the pieces are there that this should be able to work. The thing that I don't know about is, do pinball collectors want to go down this route or not? I think it makes a lot of sense from a homeowner perspective, but a lot of these things, like if. Man, if Venom ends up at the 403 Club, are we going to, like, if we sign in, are we going to actually, is it going to remember our progress? Or how are they going to, obviously, you can't allow that in the tournaments. Right. So there's gonna, probably, I'm sure there's there is setting, a tournament. There is a tournament mode. Well, just I, even beyond but, the tournament mode, I'm sure there's another setting mode that basically would uh, make it as a choice. But if it's like, because I don't want to activate a special mode or teach people how to do that when we say start a tournament. Cause it's not like uh, how it used to be in the old days at pizza West where the operator would be there and he would switch all the games to tournament mode for our tournament. Like four of three, normally we just walk up and play them and they're on the right. regular mode. So if it's always off to avoid that issue, for example, which would make sense from a tournament perspective, 
I would never get the experience of like, why should I fall in love in, with this game if I can never, even if I log in, if I don't get to progress on location, then I'm never going to, like, how would I know that I want this? It's the software that would make me want to want this game. And how would I know that unless I can have my, pro like, I want to, I'm if I don't want to buy it, I want to go and play it and I want to have my progress carry. That's what I want. I want that portable profile to finally say, hey, you've put in $50 into this game. We won Alien, Tony. We, we spent won $20 Alien. each and we won Alien. If I spend $20 on Venom, I should be able to beat Null you with help. a character and get and get something and get to continue on. And that's that's the so I see it more in the homeowner environment. I don't know if the location players are going to get enough of a taste of it or not to get that. Uh, so it's it's probably going to come down to a lot of people doing their own investigation and and study. Now, one of the things I wanted to point out to you why I'm bringing all of that up, other than, of course, that's interesting discussion. We're talking about Venom. Venom sales. From the information I have, I have gleaned from seeing people, discussions, uh, talk with other collectors, uh, the sales on this game are soft currently. Like, maybe as of this recording, this is not the case anymore. However, LEs were still readily available after the game revealed. Interesting. So some of that might be what you pointed out, like Venom's not exactly the strongest Marvel character to go with. Some of that could be uh, we're not in the pandemic anymore. And so this whole like if you want to buy a, pin, a new inbox pinball game, it's super easy now. You might not be able to go and buy your new inbox Godzilla premium or Foo Fighters premium, but you know, if you're if you want a Mandalorian or you want a Rush or you want to go and get uh, Scooby, well, Scooby's not a good example because they sold all of those out. But you want to go get a, a Godfather or a Toy Story Four, easily, easily, readily available. Plenty of games, even games that aren't made anymore, like a like a Zeppelins, easy. Right. Granted, that was always easy to get, but but my my point being is. Uh, it's not like how it was where people were just buying up everything. So all the values were going up. Now games are having to compete with each other and a lot of stuff. There's just product now. So there's all of that into play. Um, and again, where my concerns are like when people look at a photo of the layout and all they see is a fan, a lot of collectors already have a fan game, at least one in their collection already. Be hard I mean, not to. I mean, you know, it's like, well, I have I have an Attack from Mars remake. Well, you've got a fan. How many more do you want? You got Lord of the Rings. You got a fan. How many more do you want? You got a Terminator 2. You got a fan. How many more do you want? Yeah, maybe three. Maybe three. Why not both? So those are the, those are the questions uh, for it. But it's the software side of it and whether they go down this path uh, moving forward uh, that I'm curious about. Um I really like the idea of the software, though, just on paper. So I hope that even if Venom ends up not doing that well, like I heard at least, uh, like compared to at launch, it's not it's not even where Bond was. So, I mean, Bond's a stronger license. Uh, right. Bond was just plagued with a lot of issues, but um, I just hope that they don't end up going well. Venom didn't do what we had hoped it would do, so this so we we're gonna blame the software. They need to identify if the software is an issue, but I think this idea for rules makes a lot of sense given the uh, given the homeowners uh, needing something that finding a way to give longevity to a game and still be achievable by most players. Because I think I think for a lot of people that's the that's the issue is we're never going to 
I'm not going to get to like the end of Godzilla. I'm not good enough. But something you need to believe like this, in yourself, Dennis. This, uh, but something like this is believe in yourself. The way the little the, the way the Mothra twins often believe in delude you. Delude themselves into thinking that they can like. And uh, you know what? I'm going to go as a side tangent here. I'm kind of done. And let's uh, let me get if you have any other thoughts on Venom. No, I, I agree with you. I think the big thing is it'll depend on if the sales pick up after people get a chance to play it. It could be l- there's been plenty of games in the past that were uh light to be, to begin with they were soft to begin with and once people played them or once rules got in place that they really took off and became a lot more than what they started as uh we'll just have to see if this is one of those i abs- you're absolutely right the only thing is at least when it comes to stern we don't usually see that softness on le sales typically not so and 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 it was say i mean stern has had a pretty i mean Fu launched and Fu was amazing from ball one. Sure, but and, I, but there are a lot of arguments that can be made for why why was Fu so successful. You could say, well, there's a lot of fans of the band, or a lot of people uh, wanted to try a Jack Danger's first design, or uh, Fu is a very uh, easy layout. It's quite forgiving. We had very long ball times we at did. TPF. Uh, and we hadn't played the game before. That's a sign that the layout's pretty forgiving, which is part of the reason why Godzilla did so well. That's a it's not uh, the most. It's not Elwin's most brutal layout, so um, so those things are in its favor. And and once people try Venom, as you point out, um, with the fan and stuff, that should be approachable. Even the shots are relatively tight. That should be relatively approachable. So it it could have legs on it. I don't think it's a bad thing that the Ellies haven't didn't instantly sell out day one. Actually, I think that's healthy because uh, and maybe that means Stern needs to start thinking that they need to go back to the like the old days where not every run was 1,000 LEs. Maybe actually make them L, you know, limited. So whatever. I'm, that's nobody not, nobody right. does that in pinball. I, it's, we see the same thing in wristwatches and, right. and probably many what, other hobbies. You, you don't you don't think 12,000 is a limited run? You know, I I don't. And then, but then uh, there was a there was a wristwatch. I won't go into the details because I know the listeners don't care. But Seiko did a launch of some revive, you know, some vintage revive, and they did over fifteen thousand. And I was like, they're not going to sell out. And then all I've had are a bunch of comments going, "Oh, they're going to sell out, you dumb guy." I'm like, okay, well, maybe I was wrong on on because it's like Seiko's most famous diver. I don't I don't know. I was like, fifteen thousand is a stupid amount to limit. Why limit it at all? <laughs> I still don't know why that was. I mean, no one it was like they should limit it. They're just like, no, it'll sell out. I'm like, okay. A limited edition of uh, two billion. So uh, before I, I move on uh, totally, what? But moving on from Venom, what I was going to say about when you brought up the the thing, I uh, about the if I only try, you know, if I only like believe in the power of Mothra or whatever. Um, I'm going to blame. Let me throw a little bit of blame. We're normally we're pretty sympathetic. We we. On, on competitive pinball. You know, we both, I don't do it as much as I used to, but, you know, we like to go and play in mm-hmm. tournaments and stuff. It's fun. The competitive aspect's fun. I think it's an important part of pinball. I blame competitive people, though, especially high-level competitive people, for totally either they don't understand their own skill or they're, or they're humble bragging, I'm not sure, or they, or they think how they got there is different than how they really did, but they definitely overstate the ability for people to become great pinball players. I've played pinball for years. No, I do not play pinball every single day, but uh, I get so t- there's some of them where they just, it's, they make it sound like, and maybe they actually believe it, but I, I, I can't believe they're that naive where they're like, 
if you just practice a little bit more, you could be a top 100 player. No, <laughs> no, no, I cannot. I do not. Look, some of you, you are not only because you play more and you do play more. So I get where maybe they start thinking that where they're like, well, I put in, if I'm someone and I put in 10 hours a week, I'm playing pinball and Dennis puts in 10 minutes a week playing pinball. Of course I'm better than him. Yeah, that's a fair point. But if I put in 10 hours a week, I'm not going to become you. Autom- like that doesn't just automatically happen. Some people have to work way harder at something to become good at it, and they will never become great at it. Yeah, I, I am a big believer in if you practice something enough, you can become competent at it. But there are people at the top for a reason, and some of it's just going to be natural ability and stuff. Uh, and some of it has... Now, I do know that part of the reason maybe they, they, they think that is there's a lot of... We see a lot in, in tournaments and stuff, like big tournaments now. A lot of younger players are winning a lot. That's just because they got better reflexes and pinball was dominated by people. I think, I think this, and I think this bugs some of them. Pinball was dominated for so long by, by like middle-aged people that now that younger people are actually investing a little bit of their time in it, their natural dexterity advantage, they've rolled, they've all rolled high decks. So they, they're now doing what they've done in video games for years, crushing people who are older, who just don't have the reaction time that they used to. And your rules knowledge isn't going to be strong enough to, in all instances, to outplay a, someone who's just got a better physical skill set. Yeah. And I, again, I'm 44. I, I, I'm so far past my peak on, on physical ability. I could never practice my way up to beating uh, a teenager who wants to put in far less time, but will just have the reaction ability to accomplish what they need to accomplish. So, so quit telling everyone that if they just practice more, they're going to become like this great player. It's nonsense. It's absolutely ridiculous. And I, I know that, you know, pinball play is really unprofessional. I don't, I don't mean that like in a disrespectful way. I mean, like there's no, there's no str- like, and this has come up. I think Ron Hallett uh, had a great rant about this on a uh, slam tilt podcast. But he went on about how pinball is not a sport. And he's a big competitive player. But, like, you know, there's all this discussion about should we, and oh, and people are torn on this. Like, can, is it okay to wear headlamps? Is it okay to wear headphones? He was bringing up, I think he was bringing up headphones. And he's like, you, they don't, in most, prefer, like, basketball players don't get to go out there with their noise canceling headphones to not hear the, ca- the crowd jeer. So who do you think you are? That wasn't <laughs> his exact example, but that's the one I'm going to use. Uh, one I brought up with before that, which really bothered someone because they, they needed it for, and I get it cause they needed it for their, you know, for a diagnosis, but, um, things that improve focus and clarity like ADD drugs. Oh yeah. That would, if this was a legitimized sport, that would be bad. Oh man. Drug testing. Uh, yeah. Can, can you, you imagine? Mandatory drug testing but apply for, all the, with, for all and, the big and tournaments. And I don't even just mean like the prescription stuff. I mean, there's people, all these people who go, well, you know, if you have two beers, that's when you're in the right. Uh, no, that your alcohol is gone. You want this to be a real sport? You don't get to. No one else goes around. This isn't the Babe Ruth era. They don't get to go around just slamming back brewskis to go play. Your crutches go away if this was legitimized. So, and there are a lot of a shocking level of crutches in pinball, in my view. Yeah. So people also uh, get away with hiding behind a lot of cheats, basically. Not. I mean, it's all fair. This is, but in in a legitimized world of sport. These would be seen as cheats. Yeah. Uh, two beers, some ADHD drugs, sure. uh, your headlamp and your head in your noise counseling headphones. Mm-hmm. Get everything dialed in real good your, there. Uh, 
your sunglasses because the flashes are too bright, your headlamp because the room lighting's too low. And then, oh, there, oh, I, and then there's, of course, the the discussion about all of that, the non-standardized lighting and stuff. Like, why is it okay for an, a venue to play with the lights off? How am I supposed to see? Right. I got to have my fingerless gloves, so I've got the... I've got the feel in the fingertips. You got to wear palms that, that basketball. Protected. You got to wear that sleeve thing. Oh yeah, the big the big sleeve to yeah, wear the to sleeve thing. Protect my elbow mm-hmm. so I don't get the right. And when there has to be a regulation of amount of clearance between the machines, so that when the guy next to you gets mad and s- shakes the machine side to side, that I've had people side slam the game into my hand while I and I don't get and I don't it get a, to me last and week I don't get a, I don't get a free ball. Yeah. It happened to me last week at tournament. I hope your hand's okay. I only lost two fingers. That's okay. all right. Anyway, that was it. That was my little rant. Guys, not everyone can be a winner. That's my point. That's okay. Quit you telling need- everyone that they can. It's not healthy. Just do the best you can. It's not healthy. It's like telling everyone that they can be an astronaut. Just they believe can't. in yourself. They can't. do. Yes, believe in yourself, but be realistic too. And if you can't believe in yourself, believe in the me that believes mm-hmm. in you. I just, I just think that if you, if you overly like set those high expectations and some people get really disappointed when they don't like, they don't, I can't even remember how long it was until I finally like beat a, like a person at a tournament. It took, I mean, it took a few tries. Oh yeah. Uh, it's just, it's like, whatever. Um, just have bit more realistic expectations. I don't have a rumor corner. There have been so many rumors flying around lately. It's gotten ridiculous. If you all want to fill up on rumor hot dogs. I ain't going to give you prime rib. And in a way, I think sometimes people have lost sight of why Rumor Corner exists and what it's kind of poking fun at. And it almost feels like the hobby is just sort of tripled down on that. And that's fine with me because it saves me a whole segment that I have to come up with. So video games, Tony, let's just move into it. We'll talk about the big thing in video games. The thing we've been talking about for a year that is finally, finally coasting into the station. The Microsoft Activision Blizzard King merger mm-hmm. is looking to be extremely likely at this point wow it just feels like two episodes ago that everything seemed really dire everything was pretty dire two episodes ago but uh immediately after our last episode dropped because that's how it always works uh the judge uh denied the ftc their request to block the uh merger um the ftc immediately appealed uh, to surprise of nobody and was immediately denied, had their appeal denied. Uh, then the FTC filed for a temporary injunction to pause things while they take, while they continue to do a deeper look. Uh, that injunction was immediately denied by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, so the FTC is reportedly closing their internal case and letting everything go through. As per their standing standing rules, poor, poor, poor FTC. They tried so hard to block everything. I guess so. I mean, I guess they were like they saw the CMA and they were like, uh, "We want to say hold my beer," but instead, the judge was like, "Nah, no, this is Merca. <laughs> this is Merca." Yeah, no, uh, and. With the overturn, the CMA has come back to the table uh, talking uh, to Microsoft about the deal. Um, They do still have the same standing concerns, and they're looking for some more uh, concessions. 
Uh, Microsoft has submitted a detailed and complex proposal, uh, and they're going to make the CMA is supposed to make a decision by August 29th, uh, based upon the new proposal that was turned in. Uh, at the same time, because the final seal date on this was July 18th, uh, Microsoft and Activision talked and, uh, put an extension into their or requested an extension for their time because otherwise basically Microsoft was going to have to pay, right. uh, some fees and just terminate. Yeah. I saw they, they like did a multi-tier thing with new, uh, new deadlines and new, uh, higher payout amounts. If they cross those thresholds and a deal isn't ultimately reached. Right. But, but I, I assume they're feeling pretty good at this stage. I think so, because they were already putting together a plan uh, that if everything went ahead everywhere but the UK, they were looking at plans uh, for ways to get around the UK, uh, even if it even if it was so far as just not selling Activision Blizzard stuff inside the UK. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, interestingly, uh, Gundam Evolution, the free-to-play hero shooter, uh, is shutting down at the end of November. It's not even been open for a year. Yeah, I saw. I saw that. <laughs> I, I knew one person who played it, uh, and they and I asked. I mentioned it, and they they said, "I'm not surprised." Yeah, no, it's it's trash. I played it for like <laughs> it's trash. I didn't hear them say that, but no, I said that. I know. That's I, why I was just a little shocked. I. I, I, I was like, I'll give this game a try, and I downloaded it, and I played it for less than a week, and I'm like, man, this game is just. It's garbage. It was, it had, it was a, just a very poorly put together hero sh- shooter uh, with a thin veneer of Gundam on top. It, it, it was not satisfying to play in any way, shape or form. Uh, so I, yeah, like, like that, I'm not, I'm not surprised it's going away. Uh, that was a, a shot on goal that completely failed to miss, to hit. Uh, in more interesting Blizzard news, Blizzard is going to make Overwatch 2 available on Steam. This is the first time they've ever put one of their Battle.net games out on another uh, storefront. So you'll still need to tie your Steam account to your Battle.net account, but uh, it, it is possible to play on Steam. It'll have Steam achievements, your Steam friend list integration. And they are saying that they're planning on bringing more games to Steam in the future, uh, though no word on when or what games would be brought to Steam. Yeah, I um, now the Overwatch subreddits were abuzz with this as signs that the game is dying, and so Blizzard was desperate uh, for more uh, player base, and so they've turned to Steam. <laughs> However, I... I think that was maybe, I don't know if that's driven by wishful thinking from people who are upset or what. I did hear, uh, he goes by the the handle Monte Cristo. He used to do the Overwatch League, you might remember. He I believe he's tied with Valorant now, uh, but he actually mentioned you know, he, that he has, you know, purportedly, he has insider sources, and, and Overwatch 2's player base is, is basically the same as Valorant, and the assumption is that it's probably up completely different decision not based off of the subscriber count i've heard some think that this is just related to uh because microsoft is acquiring that maybe they're knowing that they are wanting to expand to the ease of being able to sell the games or get people into the games yeah but and, i don't know that, that tie i don't know if it ties at all to the microsoft part at not or not it just makes sense to be on steam if you can so. yeah i mean there's a lot of people who use steam and a lot of people really like steam i mean 
considering I was somebody who hated Steam originally, I have definitely come aboard the Steam train, uh, and I'm a big fan of Steam. See, that mean that just brings the question to me. As somebody who has Battle.net and plays games on Battle.net, can I transfer all my stuff and be able to play through the Steam if I wanted to? I'd assume with the integration you could. I, 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 that, that's my assumption as well. Uh, to be fair, I'd only want to do it for achievements but because uh, I don't see any other reason to do it. But that's interesting. And for... You, Dennis, we've talked so many times about how much joy you would get from Game Pass. Yes. And you're always like, no, Game Pass expensive. I'll just get games with gold, and I'll just get games for birthdays and Christmas and mm-hmm. stuff I buy on sale that's old. Um, and Xbox has hurt you. And Xbox is, is like, screw that guy. So... Your Xbox Live Games with Gold is going away. Yeah. It is being replaced by a new thing that they are calling Game Pass Core. Hope it doesn't stop spinning. Hopefully not, because if we do, we'll have to make a really hilarious, fun movie about it. But Game Pass Core uh, is going to be $10 a month or $60 a year. Uh, which I believe is the same pr- price as yeah, gold. It's gold's now. price. Yeah. It's gold's price. Uh, that will include your ability to do online gaming and a curated collection of 25 games that they plan on growing over time. Uh, at launch, which will be uh, September 14th, uh, live goes down on first and then on the September, on the 14th of September, uh, this comes up. Uh, the initial slate of games includes Among Us, Descenders, Dishonored 2, Doom Eternal, Fable Anniversary, Fallout 4, Fallout 76, Forza Horizon 4, Gears 5, Grounded, Halo 5, Guardians, Halo Wars 2, Hellblades, whatever sacrifice, Suna's Sacrifice, uh, Human Fall Flat, Inside, Ori and the Will of the Wisps, Psychonauts 2, State of Decay 2, and The Elder Scrolls Online, Tamaril Unlimited. So, come the 14th of September, you got a lot of new games you can try, Dennis. That's true, and a lot of those are pretty big games. Yeah, I I, I would say so. Uh, everybody knows Humans Fall Flat is just yes, the greatest. Yes, that was the exact one I was that thinking That and Among of. Us, those are the two yes. big games on that list. So... Uh, so the core is basically going to be a new version of Game Pass uh, that slides into the overall co- collection, uh, just slightly uh, under the cost of console, which is $11 a month. Um, the big difference is console has hundreds of high-quality games, and it has it's the one where you'll get the day one games, where core uh, gives you just the certain curated games. Uh, they also have PC which uh, for $10 a month, which is the one I had which gives you day one games and hundreds of high quality games uh, uh, and an EA play membership. I, uh, I let mine shut off because I just wasn't using it enough to be worth $10 a month because I was playing like one or two games, maybe for a month or two. Uh, and then ultimate, which gives you console and PC and cloud gaming uh, plus all sorts of other perks is $17 a month. I think this is pretty obviously targeted at doing core 
uh, being designed to make people want to go up to console. Right. For because the, it's an extra dollar, dollar. Yeah. And you get a lot more games and you get uh, uh, the lots of the day one games. I will. I will be considering it once the conversion happens to see what they if they're actually just going to charge. Like, do I get a price break if I buy a year's worth of a console? Right. Like I do on core. Like, yeah, because well, and like at the Xbox showcase this year, ninety percent of the games they talked about at the Xbox showcase is a day one Game Pass launch. Yes, yes it is. So, I'll I'll tell you I I it's factored in so much that when I mentioned at the start in the intro about like buying Resident Evil Three and Phoenix Wright, all the games I bought are not on Game Pass. I made sure of it. Oh, I see that's big mm-hmm. brain. That's well, big brain you know, moments. I might not be a great pinball player, but I do I do still know how to think a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so I think that's a, a an interesting change to see going forward, especially with. Uh, I have a feeling that the whole point that they said that uh, specifically that uh, the collection of 25 games will grow over time is going to be directly related to the completion of the Activision merger, because uh, I'm sure they have a small list of Activision Blizzard games that they want to push onto that curated collection as soon as that merger is completed. Uh, not to mention the, for the console version and all the day one launches that they'll be doing. So I think Xbox and Microsoft have set themselves up to be in a pretty decent place going forward. Um, Cause I mean, again, the only reason I've not gone back into the PC game pass is a hundred percent because I'm playing two games and that's about all I've been playing for a year now. So I don't see a reason to do more because those are the games that have been eating my time. So, what we'll see going forward. Okay. That's what I got. All right. Well, folks, you can reach out to us at eclecticgamerspodcast at gmail.com, facebook.com slash eclecticgamerspodcast. Uh, we're on Patreon at patreon.com slash eclectic underscore gamers. So, if you want to support the channel, we have three tiers as low as a dollar a month for that. We're on Twitch and Instagram as eclectic underscore gamers. And we'll be back in a couple weeks and we'll see what new game news we have, what new pinball shenanigans have happened, and we'll give you all the latest. And will Rumor Corner be back? No idea. We'll have to see if the hot dogs cool down. We'll have to see how many random announcements happen in the next 24 hours Mm. because that's how our luck runs. Yes. But until then, my name is Dennis. And I've been Tony. Goodbye, everybody. See ya.